Welcome to another T-Rex talk. Tonight we're going to be talking about the Why Everyone Needs an AR-15 YouTube video that we posted uh, 10 or 11 days ago. Wanted to talk a little bit more about that video, kind of some of the reasoning behind it, why we made it, also how it's doing, and then address uh, some of the comments that are on the video. So if you listen to the podcast, you've surely heard about this video. Um, it's a video that features a whole bunch of historic firearms showing small arms development all the way up to the AR platform. And um, Ethan Yazel of ilovemuzzleloading.com uh, kindly provided a whole bunch of those uh, those early firearms uh, for us to demonstrate. And then he was on the podcast a couple of episodes ago. So if you're listening to this episode now, you probably heard that episode as well. And I'm going to assume that uh, you also have watched the YouTube video, which is, uh, let me just check here, yeah, 30, 30 minutes long. That feels like a very long video to me, but it was actually really hard to <laughs> cut the script down to that length. Because when you're talking about the history of firearms... And you're talking about the 2022 assault weapons ban. Uh, there's just a lot of material to cover. And so this is by no means a complete and thorough uh, explanation of all of the topics. But it is uh, a nice thousand foot view. And essentially the video is trying to address just a couple of points. Number one, the ridiculous idea that AR-15s or perhaps weapons built on the AR platform... This idea that legislators, democratic legislators and gun grabbers have that the AR-15 is somehow uniquely classified as a weapon of war. And then other weapons of war from the past are uh, classified as sporting arms. So talking about that idea and then specifically going into the firearm features themselves that the assault weapons ban of 2022 wants to address, like pistol grips and flash hiders. And uh, refuting the idea that those are uniquely military features that only belong on military rifles. So we posted this video on September 17th, and thanks to you guys, it did very well. It got a lot of views very quickly. Uh, it has, uh, I think, a pretty catchy title. Uh, but the video itself is actually pretty boring. It is 30 minutes of just talking head interspersed by some funny movie clips. So it actually got a lot more views than I expected. And uh, the comments on the video were almost entirely positive for the first couple of days. I didn't read them all, but I skimmed uh, through a bunch of them, looked at the top comments, uh, and then occasionally came back and looked at the new comments just to kind of get an idea for who was watching the video. So the first several days, the video gained views very rapidly, and uh, basically all the comments were positive. There's a little arguing about stuff here and there. Uh, but not about the thing that I expected. At one point in the video, I hold up a 20-inch AR-15, and the upper has a carry handle on it, and I talk about the M16. It's really, really obvious in the video that the weapon that I'm holding up is not, in fact, an M16. It is just an AR-15 with a 20-inch barrel and the carry handle. I expected my amateur firearm historians to be all over that not M16, but that... Uh, that actually never came up in the video. People were arguing a totally different Era 15 versus M16 thing, which we'll get into in a little bit. But anyhow, after several days of good, strong views and very positive comments, there was kind of a lull. But interestingly, uh, it seems like viewership of this video has picked back up. It now has 720,000 views, which is 
a lot. By the time uh, you listen to this podcast, it could very well be three quarters of a million people will have watched this video. And a lot of the more recent comments are actually very negative. And I see this as a really good thing. Because what that means is that people watching this video are no longer T-Rex fans. Uh, it is now actually spreading. Whether it's spreading because people are sharing this video on social media and various other places, or because YouTube is actually recommending this video, I don't know. But the flood of negative comments, we're up to 8,760 comments. That's actually, uh, that's actually quite a bit. And there's actually not a whole lot of arguing uh, in the comment section. Now, for the purposes of the YouTube algorithm, it seems that comments are really, really important. The more comments your video has, that actually is weighted more heavily towards the video being popular and recommended by YouTube than views themselves. So the fact that there are so many comments is really good. And the fact, again, that so many of these comments are negative, I think is really good because it means that people outside of our circle are being exposed to this video. And even the negative comments uh, actually help convince YouTube that this video is worth people's time and it's more likely that it continues to get eyeballs. Anyway, let's go through some of these uh, these comments. Uh, this one's from 15 minutes ago. Carl Otto says, So much overcompensating masculinity and cheap rhetorics in these comments. I begin to understand why this amendment is slowly losing the fight. Yeah, although there's uh, an article that uh, I read the other day over at BearingArms.com that kind of says the opposite. There's a survey that the University of Pennsylvania runs uh, every single year, and this year shows uh, kind of the same trend that it always has, that there are fewer number of Americans that can name all three branches of government, etc. Uh, that was 9% lower than, than last year. Um, but interestingly, even though fewer people could talk about with any sort of clarity the different amendments in the Bill of Rights, there was one exception, which was the Second Amendment. Only 63% of people asked knew that the First Amendment covered freedom of speech, and that's down from 74% last year. But 82% of people knew what the Second Amendment was for, and that's only down 1% from the 83% that knew what Second Amendment rights were last year. So the Second Amendment isn't actually failing uh, faster than any of the others. It's actually the only one that still seems to be holding its ground. Yeah, so that's that comment. Uh, there's a bunch of people in here who are theoretically legal experts. Uh, one guy here says, legally speaking, people aren't supposed to use a gun to defend themselves unless their life is actually being threatened. And realistically, no one is going to have an AR-15 on them when their life is being threatened. That is not true. There's a lot of situations where people have actually used AR-15s to defend their own lives and the lives of other people. So, yeah, not a great legal opinion. An hour ago, somebody wrote, this was surprising. I don't have an opinion on the subject, but now I am more educated and leaning towards your point of view. Good video. Now, there's not a ton of comments like this. There's a few, and that's very gratifying. But I didn't actually think that this video was necessarily going to sway a whole bunch of people in the middle. But I also wasn't hoping this video would just preach to the choir. I was hoping that this video would cover an angle uh, on the gun control topic that isn't rarely talked about or understood and give some ammunition, so to speak, to people who are in more regular conversations with folks in the middle. But when I hear that um, people in the middle are watching this video and it's causing them to think about things that they previously didn't think about and actually re-examining their opinions, uh, that's very cool too. 
Lots of people commenting on the grand thumb jokes. So kudos, Nick, on putting that in there. That was a very good call. A guy named Donald says, you should come to Australia and look around. You will see that everything you just said is just rubbish. I don't have a gun and I don't need one because there is no threat here that requires it. Okay, well, first of all, Donald, uh, <laughs> Australia is full of dangerous, dangerous animals. Uh, but the second thing is, I have been to Australia, and uh, I know a bunch of people who are in Australia right now, and they uh, disagree with you. And you, Donald, have not been allowed to leave your house for most of the last two years or buy anything without the government's permission. So uh, you might want to reevaluate some of the stuff that you think. New Zealand is on a very uh, similar road. Her current prime minister has uh, taken the country down a whole bunch of sort of totalitarian roads and uh, is currently really cracking down on free speech. Previously, she has said that essentially the only way to know if anything is in fact true is to find out if it lines up with things that the government has said. That's, uh, that's obviously problematic from a group of people who have already disarmed their subjects. Evan Delangelo says everyone should own an AR-15 according to T-Rex Arms who sells AR-15s? Conflict of interest? Question mark. No, we don't actually sell AR-15s, so not really a conflict of interest. But even if we did sell AR-15s, we still think that people should have them and have thought that for always. So, uh, yeah. Down South says, those are weapons of war. If you need one in civilian life, not only are you part of the problem, but a coward. I... I don't quite follow. Although this this is kind of interesting to point out. This conversation about weapons of war is interesting because people debating the Assault Weapons Act pretty much just repeat the phrase weapons of war over and over and over again as if that actually proves something. AR-15s are weapons of war. To stop the use of these weapons of war. Weapons of war of a military nature. With For removing weapons of war from the streets of America. Easy access to weapons of war. Be slaughtered by weapons of war. In fact, they were weapons of war. They're weapons of war. These are weapons of war. These are weapons of war. They don't just kill, they decimate. A bunch of people on here are commenting on the Thomas Massey conversation with David Cicilline and how mind-numbing that was to listen to. Oh, it was even worse to uh, to pull all of those clips. And hopefully that little uh, montage actually kind of shows you the way that a lot of these conversations go on. I've talked about this before in previous podcast episodes, but Thomas Massey was the only one who was actually trying to have a conversation. Everybody else was reading their speech. And when they would read off a piece of paper, the speech, and he would point out issues with something that they had said because it was completely ludicrous or utterly unconnected with reality. They would argue with him by basically just going back and reading that paragraph from their speech again and then giving a kind of a condescending nod to the cameras. I think that makes it really clear that there are a bunch of people in Washington that actually have no interest in consensus or working together and don't even want to engage or have relationships with their colleagues. Uh, as they call them. Here's a comment that says, the exchange between Cicilline and Massey is one of the most frustrating things I have ever witnessed. You cannot effectively legislate something which you know nothing about. The fact that he won't even consider the fact that he doesn't understand shows he's simply there to push his agenda and grandstand. Yeah, completely true. Now, I will say in uh, Cicilline's defense, well, actually, no, not in Cicilline's defense. I will say in the defense of some of the other Democrats that are on that committee, 
They have no interest in guns and they've spent no time studying guns. I don't really expect them to be gun experts when they have spent no time on it. The problem is that they are now legislating on firearms and they know nothing about them. The bigger problem is that they're legislating on basically everything and they're just as ignorant on a whole bunch of other topics as they are on guns. If I were in their shoes, a ton of things would come up that I would be ignorant of on a technical level, on a procedural level. There would be tax stuff. There would be business administration stuff that I don't know or fully understand, which is another argument for smaller government that does less. Now that our government legislates literally anything and everything down to the nth degree, you do really have to be an expert in almost anything in order to know what sort of effect some of these laws are going to have on this really complicated economy that we have. And watching some of these elected representatives talk about firearms when they have no clue what the individual pieces of the weapon actually do in order to increase its function from sporting arm to military arm just kind of goes to show the really tiny nitty gritty stuff that they want to legislate and control by law but have no capability of really understanding. And again, the problem is not that we have a whole bunch of dumb people getting elected. The problem is that there probably aren't smart enough people on the face of the earth to legislate all of the things that government now wants to have complete and total control over. The problem is not that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a fairly clueless former bartender. The problem is that somebody from her district is going to have to be voting on 10,000-page bills that talk about exactly to the dollar how much money can be spent on certain things in certain industries that nobody on the face of the planet could actually understand in its entirety let alone the effects that it would have going into the future. But yeah, hopefully this video, you know, picking a relatively small topic um, that is being legislated on very broadly and very heavily and talking about some of the actual history and the actual mechanical features behind the law make it clear to people that, yeah, the, the folks up there often don't have the slightest idea what they're talking about. And then it becomes law. Now, speaking of uh, ignorance, there are some mistakes in the video. There's a guy named Mark two days ago said, love the video, very informative. But just to clarify, the M1 Garand uses an eight-round N-block clip. Yes, an actual clip, not a magazine. That's an excellent point, Mark. I missed the opportunity to talk about clips. Very next comment from a guy named Alan who says, my father fought in World War II and told me that most, if not all, the frontline soldiers were carrying 12-gauge shotguns. Um, that one is actually uh, not true. Jordan Warzynski says, you can even argue that the M4A1 currently in service with the Army Infantry is behind civilian rifles since it lacks a free float rail, has inferior ergonomics, lacks QD sling attachment, lacks quick attach suppressor mount, is issued with optics from the early 2000s, etc., etc., etc. Yeah, as many people have pointed out, civilians are not only ahead of adoption of certain military technology, but often they're far ahead on some of the trends with attachments and things as well. Now, I'm going to kind of push back a little bit on uh, the optics. Some of the ACOG optics from the past are just phenomenal, fantastic optics that have held up really, really well. But there are a whole bunch of really interesting trends that um, are definitely ahead of the curve in, in the civilian space. And then there's this whole conversation about military spec, people that don't understand 
uh, how the military does things, think military spec is a very high, high level of quality. I mean, nobody ever says that about military spec food, though. And people that have some experience with military spec equipment understand that it's actually the lowest bar that uh, the lowest bidder was able to hit. Going back to one of the main talking points of gun control advocates, in addition to calling AR-15s weapons of war, weapons of war, weapons of war, they talk about, uh, several times they'll, they'll use this soundbite, a weapon of war, comma, created to kill as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time possible, which isn't really true of any infantry weapons, maybe some indirect fire ones. That is a true statement for very large munitions. But infantry rifles are not created to kill as many people as possible in the shortest amount of time possible. Technically, they are created to work in as many environments as possible with as wide a range of riflemen as possible and cost as little as possible and provide as many government grants to the constituents of people on the military uh, acquisition committees as possible. That's technically uh, what those weapons of war are trying to accomplish. Vincenzo DiMarco says, I'm new to this channel. I've never heard someone talk so much so fast. Oh, yeah, he is new to the channel. I think I'm the slowest talking person <laughs> on here. Uh, a bunch of people who think that I am Lucas's dad... Uh, a bunch of people who think that I am Lucas and I have aged like old milk. <laughs> a number of people are mentioning uh, this Sturmgewehr 43, 44. Uh, why that was not mentioned? Because that was that was a fairly interesting uh, and important development point. And uh, um, depending on who you read, either extremely important for the development of the AK-47 or basically entirely responsible for the development of the AK-47. The main reason that it wasn't on the table was we didn't have one. Um, but the main reason we didn't go down the rabbit hole of talking about it was we stuck to major, major, major platforms. That was a really important innovation, but it was never a major military uh, weapon of war, per se. It was not widely user distributed. It came along late enough in the war that it was able to prove its uh, excellence, but it wasn't a major, major platform. The best thing to do was to go straight to the AK-47, uh, its descendant, which was a major, major platform, obviously. And obviously, the AK-47 is the one where we really get into state-developed and state-owned rifles and talk about genocide. An earlier version of the script talked about some different other weapons and spent a fair amount of time talking about bullets because there were a bunch of Developments that uh, actually go along with the projectiles, cartridges, uh, but even just the projectiles themselves, the fact that hollow base bullets completely change the uh, the speed advantage that smoothbores give you and everything is a rifle after that. That was something that didn't really fit in the video. Uh, very glad as I'm scrolling through these comments to see people from Romania and uh, and actually a number of other Australians who actually understand the importance of firearm ownership and uh, are are sad that firearm freedoms in Australia have been lost. Yeah, more more Europeans uh, appreciating the video and wishing that they had more firearm freedoms. Here's an interesting one. A guy with a Cyrillic username says, I joined the club of Era 15 owners by buying one in Ukraine. Truly great system. It's not my service rifle, which is, by the way, a simple AK-74. Hmm, interesting. 
Well, that's probably enough comments for now. But by far the biggest contention in this comment section and elsewhere on the internet where people were discussing the video was not actually gun control specifically. Uh, it wasn't the fact that the AK-47 I held up was uh, not a very <laughs> historically accurate representation of an AK or uh, that I had a very historically accurate representation of an M16. It was this conversation about the AR-15. Why did I agree with the gun grabbers that an AR-15 is a weapon of war when the U.S. military has never issued an AR-15, and neither has any other military anywhere around? So first of all, I will say that I probably should have been a little more clear that I was talking about the AR platform uh, specifically and not just a specific make of rifles. But uh, I think I'm still right, because the AR-15 platform, whether I specifically designate it or not, or the AR-15 itself, has been issued by the United States military. The United States military armories to this day still have a whole bunch of M16s that also say Colt AR-15 right there on the magwell of the lower. The M16 is just the military designation of the AR-15 and a description of a military spec that goes along with it and certain features that AR-15s could have and many times in the past did have. So this is a kind of an unnecessary argument. For people that still want to <laughs> argue over this, I would ask, is the M1911 very much different than the non-military Colt 1911. Is the Beretta M9 that much different than the Beretta 92 FS? I mean, the short answer is uh, that it's not. The only real difference between the military M9 and the civilian 92 FS is what gets engraved on the slide. Now, obviously, the M16A1, M16A2, M4, etc., 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 there are so many more versions of these guns than the Beretta M9, that it's easy to argue that they are vastly different than civilian era 15s And there is one major difference between most military AR-15 platform rifles and most civilian-owned AR-15 platform rifles, and that is the ability to fire in full auto or three-round burst. Select fire is a very large distinction between many of these rifles, but... Uh, it doesn't really have to be, because AR-15 platform rifles can share parts. It doesn't take a whole lot of modification to make a civilian AR-15 except the select fire trigger group of a M16 or M4. In fact, the ATF says that it is super easy, barely an inconvenience. So uh, yeah, the ATF and I actually agree on something for a change. So, in the future, I will try to make it even more clear when I'm talking about a specific platform rather than a specific rifle. And people who really want to argue this level of nitty-gritty detail this broadly should realize that they sound like those sort of people who always complain about misuse of the word champagne. Yes, yes, we know. It's only an assault rifle if it comes from the assault region of France. Otherwise, it's just sparkling rifles. Yes, we know. We get it. Kind of on the same topic, I want to plug a video that uh, Ian at Forgotten Weapons just posted on uh, an interesting question. The M1 Garand is a rifle that we all know. The M14 is a rifle that we all know. What was the M2 through M13 rifles? What were those? 
And uh, he goes through all of them. Some of them were training rifles, some of them were spotting rifles, but that M is just a designation that the Army uses for military weapons, and it can be very confusing, because they will use it for a whole bunch of things that are obviously different to them, but not as obviously different to everyone else. For example, we had an M1 rifle, an M1 carbine, an M1 submachine gun, all at the same time. And there were probably 50 other M1s, ranging from tanks to can openers, because that's just how military logistics works. It has more to do with accounting than delineating what an actual weapon of war uh, is. But anyhow, we had a lot of fun making that video. We're very happy to see uh, how many people are enjoying it. It's interesting to see all of the different comments, or in this case, a tiny fraction of some of the comments. And it was fun to talk through some of the advantages of the AR platform. There are a bunch of points that we didn't have time for in the video. For example, David Cicilline keeps talking about the M1 Garand being an ancient relic. The AR platform is 60 years old at this point, so it's no spring chicken either. But it has the advantage of about 60 years of very active development in both military and civilian spaces. And I actually see that as a huge deal. Are there other weapons that are more technically advanced? Well, I think that there are. I think that, you know, the SIG MCX theoretically is. Although technically, I would make the argument that that's merely an AR-18 platform weapon. It's not its own specific thing. And there are several other companies developing interesting new techniques that I like to look up. But an AR-15 platform weapon, platform, I guess I should say it again, is a really fascinating thing that benefits from 60 years of lessons learned and an incredibly widespread availability of parts. And not just pre-made parts. The AR-15 has become essentially open source at this point. The number of small machine shops in the United States that can make AR-15 parts and AR-15 themselves is huge. We're almost back to the kind of ecosystem that existed when people were making flintlocks. Every town blacksmith could make parts of flintlocks, could fix flintlocks. And that's where we are today with the AR-15. The huge adoption rates and modularity puts it in a very similar category. It's an incredibly American rifle, not just because it was invented here, not just because it was first fielded by American troops, not just because such a gigantic percentage of the American population has chosen to own one, but because such a huge percentage of America's productive capability can, at the drop of a hat, make AR-15 parts and complete AR-15s. That is a huge deal, and it's a huge selling point for those of you that think about the AR-15 rifle, uh, not just as a singular rifle, but as a platform, as a total weapon system. And so, I will leave you with uh, another montage of American politicians trying to talk about the AR-15 platform. Military-style assault weapons that are military-style. Military-grade. With a military-grade uh, weapon. Military-assault-styled. Military-style weapons. Military weapons. Military weapons. In the military. Military-style weapons designed to kill as many people as possible. Of military-grade weapons. Military-style assault weapons. Military weapons of war. Military-style semi-automatic weapons issued to our military.